0: This is the third tape in the series on the life of Joseph by Terry Virgo. Psalm 105, reading from verse 16. And he called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters He himself was laid in irons, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him, the ruler of peoples, and set him free. He made him lord of his house, ruler over all his possessions, to imprison his princes at will, that he might teach his elders wisdom. Israel also came into Egypt. Thus Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and he caused his people to be very fruitful and made them stronger than their adversaries. Let's ask God to teach us tonight. Father, we thank you for your presence with us here, and we come as your children, rejoicing in the new covenant which says that each one shall be taught of the Lord. And Father, we come not simply to hear the words of a man, but Lord, even as you reminded us from the outset, that as we assemble, so you would give water for the people. And so, Lord, we come and say, Oh God, grant us to truly hear from you tonight by the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your gracious promise, Lord Jesus, that if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And Father, we ask you now in Jesus' name for the Holy Spirit to come as a mighty teacher amongst us. Amen. For the sake of any who are here for the first time this evening, and just to refresh our memory, let me paint the picture that we're looking at together as we consider the life of Joseph on these four evenings. We're looking at Joseph as a type of the church of the last days. God said in the last days I will pour my spirit upon all flesh and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. As we look at the story of Joseph, we see here a man typical of this end-time church, a dreamer of dreams, a seer of visions, and one in his adolescence who perhaps shares these things without wisdom and yet with genuine integrity. And because of his vision, is cast out from his home and undergoes considerable pressure and heartache. We find that he was not loved by his brothers. We find also that he had a great purpose to fulfill. That although the story, as we look at it at surface level, looks like just a horrible story of family intrigue, of envy, spite, jealousy, cruelty. And it looks as though this young man is being tossed from one situation to another, yet we, as we look at the whole story, see that actually God was writing the whole thing. God was wonderfully behind it with great, significant purposes. And I believe that we're living in days of God's great, significant purposes coming to birth. And I believe that a church that has been coming to birth in these days, that is seeing visions and dreaming dreams, and coming into a whole dimension of the Spirit, has been going through a time of testing and proving and preparation, but that very soon we are entering into a new phase. I believe that very soon there will come... That voice that brings this testimony to centre stage to fulfil the purpose of God in this generation. I believe that just as David had to learn to endure in the period of Adullam's cave, yet that's not the whole story. And God has spoken to us recently in prophecy at home saying, just as I've been with you through the years of difficulty I'm with you, through the times of testing and trial, I shall be with you in the days of the outbreak of my blessing. And I am preparing you for that very thing. And certainly God is going to bring forth the testimony to the working of his Spirit in a mighty and new way. But we're looking step by step at the way in which God prepares this young Joseph. And last night we saw that although he had a great destiny and God's purpose, God tried him. God put him through certain tests. We find there was the test of would he live in the present rather than just look back with regret and bitterness. Or looking forward just as a dreamer who thinks, well, one day it would be all right. We find instead he was a successful man within his restrictions. All the problems that he had changed, restricted, yet he was a successful man. In everything he did, he prospered. And within that limitation... God's blessing was so upon him that Potiphar gave him charge of all his house, was pleased to have a child of God in his home. We look at the challenge of that and God is looking for us to prove him in the present. And then we saw too the terrible, powerful temptation of Potiphar's wife suddenly calling upon this young man, come and lie with me, come and commit sin with me. And we saw that that's not only the cry of the flesh in this modern world, but it's the cry of the whole world that says to us, why are you so separate? Why are you so different? Why don't you just come and lie with us? Why don't you just come and take part with us in our sinning? And I believe it's clear and significant as we see Joseph as a type of this end time church that we are living in days of gross immorality. Perhaps there's never been such a day where immorality is so easily available. Where sin comes head on. Not subtle and hidden but there head on. Come, lie with me. The whole thing so easy and open and available. We haven't time to look at the whole thing again but we see this wonderful thing but Joseph refused. That's the testimony. It says in Titus, the grace of God has appeared instructing us to say no. It's part of our life. We might say, oh, Christianity is so negative. It's just not doing this and not doing that. There is an aspect of the grace of God. The grace of God has appeared to us instructing us to say no. And when the whole world is going one way, one of the ways in which the church stands up is that it says No. And Joseph, before he emerges into his great ministry to be second only to Pharaoh and usher in the purposes of God, has to go through this secret test where it would seem no one is looking on, but actually all heaven is looking on to see whether he'll make it or not. And we see, as I reminded you last night as we closed, that in that lovely film, Chariots of Fire, where that young man was true to his convictions, and instead of running in the 100 yards, ran in the 400 yards, and won the race. And there, with that text in his hand, he who honours God, God will honour. He was triumphant, triumphant through testing and temptation, carried shoulder high because of his integrity. We find with Joseph, as he is full of integrity at great cost, he's not carried shoulder high at all. They lie against him. They ridicule him. They throw him into prison. God hasn't promised us in that easy way, he who honours me, I will honour. It's not always being carried shoulder high. For Joseph, just to be righteous, cost him everything. He was thrown into prison. But, beloved, the wonder is this. We know the story from the other side. We see it from God's aspect. And actually, we could call tonight promotion to prison. Because really, if the angels could be seen, as men were casting Joseph into prison, the angels were carrying on their shoulders, here he is, next stage. He's triumphant through that test, on to the next stage. He has won through. From God's viewpoint, he's moving on. He's absolutely in God's program, ready for the next stage that will bring him through to God's ultimate purpose for him. And so... As we look at this tonight and pick up the story again, it looks like a tragic story, this righteous young man thrown into prison now. Already his brothers have treated him cruelly. Now to add to his problems, this heathen woman lies against him and is thrown into prison. It's so important that we understand that there is a training program for us. Certainly, we rejoiced on that first night to see Joseph was chosen in heaven. He was chosen of God. He may be adolescent, he may be obnoxious, but he was chosen in God. So we mustn't withstand the man whom God has chosen. But we must see this too, that there's no easy path to that position of having spiritual authority. Although the calling comes down from heaven, there is a preparation to bring us there. And that preparation is costly. Salvation is free, but preparation for spiritual authority is costly and difficult. Sometimes we sing and triumph, oh, we're going to rule the nations, hallelujah, we're going to rule the nations. And Satan stands above and laughs, he says, can't even rule his tongue, can't even rule his temper, can't even rule his body. What does he mean, rule the nations? What a laugh. The devil can just look on and mock us. We've got to come through until really we are ready to rule the nations, because that's God's appointment for the church, that we rule the nations. And so God is just about to turn the heat up upon Joseph. He's been through one test, and God takes him into the next test. And as we read in Psalm 105, the word of the Lord tried him, or refined him. It means that he was going to be put into a kind of furnace. The heat's going to be turned up even more as he's prepared for his calling in God. Just like Elijah. Elijah, the man who burst upon the scene, and then had to go, as God told him, to the brook at Cherith, and there he was going to be fed by the ravens. And as he watched that river dry up, day after day, and he looked at it and it got less and less water every day, and he thought, how much longer can I stand this test? Oh God, aren't you going to turn up? I don't think this water's going to be here tomorrow. And tomorrow there's just a little bit of water left. He thinks, oh, perhaps I'll survive today. And the raven's turned up again, and he thinks, oh God, how much longer is this test going to last? And then God comes to him and says, Elijah, go to Zarephath. He thinks, oh, thank goodness. Get away from here. He says, go and I've commanded a widow woman to feed you there. Oh, that's nice, that's what he thought. Go to a nice widow woman to look after me. It's very pleasant, better than these ravens. (laughs) One thing God didn't mention to him at the time was the widow woman was just about to die, was starving, had nothing to live on. And uh, that when he got there, there were all kinds of tests lined up for him. But actually, the woman, though she would supply him, she needed to be lifted by his faith. And while he was there, even her son is going to die. And the very place, Zarapheth means the place of refining, or the crucible. God does this with his servants. God tries his saints. He puts them into the furnace. He puts them into the crucible. And the crucible speaks of the fact that when God takes us out of the earth, when he brings us forth out of the quarry to make us into some beautiful thing for himself, what he takes out has a beautiful part within it, that which is of God, and with it there is that unclean part. The ore doesn't come out pure. God has to take our lives. Those of us who said, oh God, I want to serve you with all my life. I want to see your kingdom come. God says, is that really what you want? You say, Father, with all my heart I want to serve you. He says, Are you sure about that? You say, yes Lord, I really want to shine for you. He says, right, I must put you in the crucible. I must put you in the furnace. It's part of your necessary training for what I have for you. We find it there with Joseph that it says, iron entered into his soul. It wasn't just that his body was put in fetters and in irons, but iron, it entered into his soul. Something happened to the man deeply as he went through that refining process. And some of us have found that. Many of you here could say, oh God, how much longer is this pressure going on for? Lord, I can't understand why this experience I'm going through is so prolonged and so difficult. Why did Elijah have to go through so many pressures? From one pressure to another. I'll tell you why. God had got a great plan for Elijah. That he was going to burst before the whole nation and call fire down from heaven. He was going to speak and open the skies after three years of drought. And a man who's going to have a significant ministry must be prepared by God. Otherwise he's not ready. I read a tragic report recently of Elvis Presley. Read how suddenly this young man was shot from obscurity to international fame overnight. And suddenly this man could rule the world, it would seem. And it showed how so early on he needed drugs and he, he had to have this drug and then that drug. And in the end, the man was a terrible, terrible mess while he was still young. His rise to fame ruined him, utterly ruined him. And we must see that if God is going to bring us forth with a really significant ministry as a corporate people and as individuals within that god loves us too much to bring us there overnight god loves us too much to let us come as that 17 year old joseph into that position he said no you've got to go through these tests and it may look negative but it's absolutely positive it's my program for you if we can see it that way why do you dig a great big foundation under a building well I recall God speaking to us some years ago when we were going through a terrible furnace experience in the local church and God spoke to us in prophecy and said I know how big the building's going to be that's why I'm digging such a foundation And God knows what he wants to build upon us how significant our testimony is going to be and so he takes time with us can you receive that in your heart? When you think, oh God, why is it so hard? Why is it so cruel? Why do I have to go through that kind of test? God says, the thing I do now you know not. But afterwards you'll understand. We've got to take courage from that because we have the scriptures. We have the encouragement of the scriptures. We can see how the story ends. So let it work its way into your spirit. It says in Psalm 66:10, Thou hast tried us, O Lord. Thou hast refined us as silver is refined. In fact, in Psalm 66, it looks as though it could be uh, the testimony of young Joseph. I'll just read one or two other verses there. It says, Thou hast tried us, O God. Thou hast refined us as silver is refined. Thou didst bring us into the net. Who did? The devil? No. Thou, God. Thou didst bring us into the net. Thou didst lay an oppressive burden upon our loins. Thou didst make men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet thou didst bring us out into a place of abundance. You can write Joseph against that in your margin, I have in my Bible. That's exactly what, it, what he went through. Pressure after pressure after pressure. And then that's not the end of the story, because God suddenly declares, "But thou didst bring me out into a place of abundance." That's the wonder of it. God's got a purpose. Psalm 17:3: "Thou hast tried my heart. thou hast tested me and found nothing." Isaiah 48.10, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. I have tested you there. God is the author of the whole thing. So often, when we go through pressure, we say, the devil's after me. And people come for counsel, they say, well, the devil is the devil. But clearly, again and again here, it's God who's doing it in his great purpose, even when it seems to be evil men who are his instruments to make it come to pass. Look into the New Testament in 2 Corinthians and see the experience of the Apostle Paul, where he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively, beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead. And over the page in chapter 4 of the same epistle, verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are continually being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. The Apostle Paul then even says that we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed. He thought, why so long? But not despairing. There's such a balance there, perplexed, yes, asking deep questions. The psalmist often cries out, why, O Lord? How long, O Lord? comes out again and again in the Scripture. And while we want to sing triumph songs and victory songs, looking out on this congregation, there'll be those who are singing them out of burdened hearts, saying underneath, but oh God, how long is this locked up situation going to be my experience? How long am I having to go through this? Perplexed, but not despairing. God wants us to see... His purpose in the furnace. What does the furnace do? Well, the furnace burns up rubbish. It burns up rubbish. It burns up empty words. It burns up emotional response to meetings. So that when we say now, will you respond tonight to what God is saying? And in the rush of the moment, we stand and respond with all our hearts. Now that's lovely, that's good, providing it is the genuine article and not just the moving of an emotion in a moment. Jesus told the parable of the sower and he says there are those who immediately respond and then the sun rises. It doesn't say then one day the sun might rise or if the sun rises, the sun tends to rise. (laughs) They who live godly... Shall suffer persecution. There is a testing always, and that immediate response is tested. Some of you, like I, may have gone forward at missionary appeals years ago, just as I am, young, strong, and free, <laughs> to be the best that I can be. Woohoo, here we go. I really believe that. And God said, I've got other plans for you. The best that you can be isn't very impressive, son. (laughs) Young, strong and free you may think yourself to be, but you don't know anything about the strength that you need and you're nowhere near as free as I want you to be. So that great egotistical song didn't do much to impress God. And God had to work something else into our hearts. So... God burns up the rubbish, He burns up emotional response, He burns up doctrinal correctness, which is not uttered out of genuine faith. I declared here on the first night a message that highlighted the sovereignty of God. I have often found that men who are meticulous in defending that doctrine are often the shortest on real confidence in that God. But they'll strongly contest for that doctrine. Jesus is Lord. God is sovereign. He's over everything. And they're tense, nervous, defensive because the doctrine has never got into their spirit. They'll fight you for it. They'll fight you. Those verses are in the Bible. They'll fight you if you don't believe it. But God will say, right, let the fire fall and see how far that goes. Is it just in your head? How can you say... Jesus is Lord, God is sovereign and still be nervous about this and that, wondering what's happening here and frightened of this. No, if we believe these great doctrines then they should build security into our lives, total peace and rest. Those who believe in the sovereignty of God should be like a rock, secure. So often I find they're frightened then. We need to take the challenge of that into our spirit. Declared Loyalty. God will put the test to that and see if it's genuine covenant love. That's happening all over the place, all the time. Men are saying, oh, bind us together. Father, we're one, let's hold hands. And God will say, I'll put some fire on that. I'll just let some pressure come on that brother and brother relationship. That sister and sister who who hugged one another in that meeting at the Downs, I'll let some fire fall on that and I'll see what their covenant love is like. That Hebrew word, chesed, it's translated loving kindness, mercy, but it has within it the essential root of covenant. Covenant. But you cannot understand the loving kindness of the Lord without understanding that he has made a covenant with his chosen. That he will keep faithful in covenant. And one of the ways in which that word is translated in the Old Testament is loyalty, even in pressure. And God will test that to see whether our hugging and our relationship, all oh, hallelujah, it's all nice and loving now. God will test that. And that's what the furnace does. It says, are you still Real. It burns up the rubbish. It shows me where I really am. That's why a furnace is a real blessing to us. It's like the storm that beats upon that house. It shows us where we really are. It keeps us from fooling ourselves all the rest of our lives that we thought we were doing fine. Because ultimately we shall all stand before the fire of God's testing. And it's better that he tests us now and we face reality. That we thought we were better than we were. We thought we were more than we were. But when the fire fell, we found most of it was dross. A tiny little nugget of gold at the centre. It's better that we find out what we really are through the fire. It delivers us from our self-sufficiency. The thought, that well, we can make it. And perhaps that was something of that in Joseph as he complained about his brothers and reported back to them. And as he said, oh, by the way, you'll bow down to me later on. Perhaps there was a horrible mixture in his heart. And God knows the mixture that's in us. And God will deliver us from that self-sufficiency. When we go through the big tests, we know deep in our spirit, not just because it's a Bible verse, we know deep in our spirit that we are nothing. We need, we need to know that, lest God should exalt us too quickly and we come to a position that we cannot handle and are destroyed utterly. It's a fearful thing that God is preparing His church for in these end days to suddenly come forth with great glory. Arise, shine, the nations shall turn to your light, all the kings to your glory. God is going to lift up Zion above all the mountains and the nations are going to pour into Zion. What a responsibility if we're not ready for it in our spirit. What an exalted position God is going to give to his church. God wants every stone tested, tried, precious, safe, secure, able to handle glory as well as able to handle pressure. So God in his love will prepare us. It brings us afresh to God. Paul says he went through this that he may not trust in himself but in God who raises the dead. Do you find that? Have you been through a pressure lately and you just feel, God, I have run out. I've got nothing more to do. I I just give up, Lord. I'm just through on this. And you just give in and you find out that you're trusting in a God who raises the dead. You think, oh, hallelujah. The wonder of the Christian isn't that he keeps falling. The wonder is that when he falls, he gets up again. That we, we so often come to the end of ourselves. We so often think, oh, I've blown it again. I, I'm not what I thought I was. And we come down low again and God raises the dead and says, I've got my hand upon you. So that we learn to trust not in ourselves but God who raises the dead. And the church is full of a people who know that they're ones who've been raised from the dead. A whole army of genuinely meek people who know that they are weak and helpless. And Jesus, our great King, meek and lowly, riding on ahead of us, is calling an army of genuinely meek people who know that they've got no confidence in the flesh. It's unlike any other army God's ever raised or any man has ever raised. Men will look for warriors, courageous, strong, muscular, able. God's looking for meek, lowly people who have no confidence in the flesh but have learned because of the gentleness of their God that he keeps lifting them up again to have confidence. And so the great warrior king David can say, thy gentleness has made me great. You just keep lifting me up, Lord. I can't lose. Have you got a God like that? That essentially, you have no longer any confidence in the flesh. You just know, essentially, you are rubbish. It's a tremendous discovery. (laughs) It really is wonderful to get free and know that, Father, without you, the whole thing's hopeless. And we just come to rest with that. And God says, that's right. Now we're getting somewhere. And he raises the dead and says, now, let's go on. Hallelujah. That's what the furnace is about. God's preparing us for eternal glory. God's preparing us for a kingdom on this earth that's going to shine like the church has never shone before. Tremendous days are ahead of us. Receive the furnace. Count it holy, joyful, brethren, when you meet various trials. Understand it, embrace it, believe it. It brings forth genuine gold. That's another thing a furnace does. It brings forth genuine faith. That's so pleasing to God. So it glorifies God. So often we think that all our sanctification process is just for us, that we might live the successful Christian life. And we want to read books on how to live the successful Christian life. Well, that's fair enough. But so often that is simply self-centered that I want to be good at it. But the whole thing actually is for God. It's for his glory. For my sake, God says, I purify you. It's for his eternal glory. It's that he might have a people that are for himself. As the whole of heaven looks on, as God manifests, as God manifests his manifold wisdom through the church to principalities and powers. The, the world is a stage upon which God is showing his glory to principalities and powers. And so we find a man called Job. And we find that God challenges Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? And Satan challenges him back. He says, oh, you've put a hedge around him. Does Job serve you for nothing? Look at, perhaps, your people, they just get blessed. Goodness and mercy follows them all the days of their lives. Of course they bless you. Of course they worship you. He said, let me touch him. Just let me touch him. You'll soon see. He'll curse you to your face. And God lets the fire fall on that man. And the purpose of it, beloved, isn't... Just for Job, who in the end certainly is vindicated, the purpose is for God. That God can say to Satan, consider my corporate Joseph. Consider my people. And that Satan can test and God can say, look, there's shining, burning gold. That's what God's looking for. It's for his glory, not just for our sake that we're triumphant, that God can say, look, the fire's burning him and he's still trusting me. Look, it's prolonged and difficult and he's still saying, hallelujah. Look at this, Satan. You rebelled. He won't rebel. That's the triumph of the heavens. And sometimes we should be taken through great trials to see if we will still say, Lord Jesus, I trust you. And even Satan will be permitted to come through that hedge that seems to be around us and snatch and take and see how do you react to that. And God will move the hedge, as it were. God will permit it. Bryn Jones was to have been here this week reason he's not here this week is that our dear friend Mike Stevens in the USA had his youngest child snatched from him two or three weeks ago. His two-year-old daughter was suddenly snatched from a boat and drowned. And there that awful thing happened to our dear brother and Bryn felt it right to rush back to the States and be with him and stand with him and as Mike spoke to me on the phone he said it was so sudden it was so quick he said she was there one minute and gone the next he said don't believe those people who say oh they they just float and and they come up three times and uh, he said she was gone he said I dived and dived and she was gone and as he cried on the phone he said but Penny and I have knelt down and said oh God We are determined to serve you with all our lives. We are determined to go on with you, whatever it costs. We will give you our lives. We refuse to withdraw. We refuse to go back. We will go on with you. And I thought about that. And, and, And just a few days later, a child fell from the palace pier in Brighton. Fell down, many feet, into the water. Same age sort of child. And people were able to get down there and rescue that child. And you can only say, oh God, you're well able to save that life. Or you are able and willing to let it be snatched away. God is over all things. God is Lord of all. And God will allow sometimes very great tests to come to us. Because God is after something that will last forever and ever and ever in terms of his glory. And this is no mere doctrine, this is where people live, this is where your heart cry comes, but God will be over the whole thing in his great holy purposes. And through our tears we'll still say, Lord Jesus, I determine to glorify you. I determine to trust you and praise you and to shine for you. And all heaven leaps for joy that there's a victory. And Satan has to skulk away. Because God has worked some gold into our lives. And so God works upon us, sometimes at great cost. And this man, it says, the word of the Lord tried him. He was in a furnace. And lastly, it prepares an instrument. It prepares an instrument. That's why God puts us through the furnace. He prepares something. Isaiah 54:16 says, Behold, I myself have created the blacksmith who blows the fire of coals and brings out a weapon for its work. God prepares an instrument through pressure. God does that. He has a great weapon for these end times, a glorious church he will move upon us and then in spiritual terms it tells us we belong to God when we go through the furnace would you just turn please to Hebrews chapter 12 Hebrews 12 verse 5 have you forgotten the exhortation which addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't faint when you're reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. For it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Sometimes when we go through the the pressures, our first cries, Oh God, am am I really your child? Do I really belong to you? We feel like that one in Isaiah, all oh, storm tossed, afflicted, and not comforted. But God says, I will lay your foundations in precious stones through the very experience. And God would have us know that the very testing is not to raise a question whether we belong, but to underline that we do belong. It's a proof that we're His. If we don't know the testing, then we can say, well, do we really belong? God says quite plainly, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Jacob was the one who was in God's purpose. But if you look at the story of Esau's life and Jacob's life, you could be tempted to think that Esau was the one whom God blessed. He stayed at home, life was comfortable for him, he prospered. When Jacob returned from his dreadful journeys, Esau had everything. Goods, food, wives, flocks, he was very, very healthy and prosperous. You say, oh, there's the blessing of God on Esau. It's obvious. Poor old Jacob. He had to run away from home. He served for a wife whom he loved. Woke up in the morning, found he got the wrong wife. (laughs) Had to go through it all over again for the right wife. Then his money was changed, he found his uncle kept cheating him and playing around and fooling him and the whole of his experience seemed to be tragedy after tragedy and problem after problem. And God says, he's uh, Jacob I've loved. The fact that he loved Jacob said, I'm not going to leave him as he is. I will empty him from vessel to vessel. I will put him through pressure because I love him. And that's the mark that we're loved very often. If we don't know the pressures, then we should question, according to this passage, whether we're truly legitimate children of God. Do you know the pressures? Do you know the disciplines of God upon your life? Esau just prospered. Life was easy. But he wasn't in God's purpose. Jacob was changed from one scene to another. Kept on being emptied from vessel to vessel. Now, in this passage, it tells us how to respond and how not to respond. It says we can miss God's purpose if we're not careful. And just to notice this quickly, it says, My son, verse 5, Hebrews 12, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. You can shrug it off. You can say, "Oh, you say, how are things going, brother? Oh, fine. Really, you're going through a terrible test. But you say, well, it's nothing really. We're pressing on. Just regard it lightly. It'll all be okay soon. Or, it says, don't faint when you're reproved by him. Like some children do, when you correct them, they say, oh, you're always against me. I can't do anything right. That's what we're like, some of us. We go through a problem and say, oh, I need counsel. Here I go, I'm finished. Utterly ruined, wait for next Bible week. Can't stand it, Lord, get the pressure off. Not listening to what God's saying, just fainting. Don't faint when you're reproved by him. And then it says in the same chapter, make sure that no root of bitterness grows up. Spoiling many. That's three wrong ways you can react. See, God is training us. It says it is a benefit to those who are trained by it. But if we're not trained by it, we can miss it. We shrug it off, so it's nothing. Or we go under to it, or we get bitter. We say, why am I going through this? Why am I being thrown into prison? Why am I going through this circumstance? And it also says, see that no one, verse 15, comes short of the grace of God. That we fail to obtain grace to help in time of need. We fail to do those things. We do not learn what God wants us to learn. God wants us to be trained by it. It's a training program. And here, Joseph, being thrown from one circumstance to another, is on a very serious training program. Notice what happens to him. Things got worse and worse. Ridicule, unfair dismissal, shut up in prison... There was a man on the news last week. He'd been in prison for two years on a rape charge. And it's now been proved that he was not guilty. While he was in prison, he was beaten up because it was supposed to be the rape of a child and the other prisoners turned against him. This actually happened just a couple of weeks ago. This man was vindicated. I'm no doubt you saw it in the press. Two years imprisonment. And that's what Joseph went through. Years of imprisonment, unfair, unjust. Never did the thing. And then his hopes raised as he shares the interpretation of the dreams of the two who come in. Perhaps this will be the answer. Hopes raised, he waits for a few days. Will I get out now? Only to have his hopes dashed. That's very hard. Sometimes we can get used to a situation and just stoically carry on, and God tests to see if it is just Stoicism or genuine faith, allows our hopes to be raised, only to come smashing down again. Boy, this is a real furnace. And then we find others seem to get away with it easily. It's Baker, the butler, the butler's in there, and he's back out again. And I'm in here all these years. Have you ever felt that? They seem to get away with it. The psalmist said that sometimes, he said, I keep my soul, these people don't seem to bother, but they prosper. How is it? They seem to get away with it. And I'm being diligent, and nothing happens for me. I'm being careful, it's hard to bear sometimes. The ungodly don't seem to have to wait. Why do I have to wait? And when they get free, they're ungrateful and forgetting. These are the pressures that Joseph went through. God is putting you through tests and trials. Just see it as God's program because ultimately he brings us out when his purpose is fulfilled. How did Joseph make it? Let's see that tonight before we finish. How was it that Joseph was victorious through the whole experience? We should turn to Genesis 49 and we see a testimony there regarding Joseph. Genesis 49, verses 22 to 24. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. Its branches run over a wall. The archers bitterly attacked him. They shot at him and harassed him. But his bow remained firm and his arms were agile. Joseph, a fruitful bough, by a spring, whose branches went over the wall. What a beautiful testimony that is. It reminds me of a passage in Jeremiah 17, let me just read it to you, where it says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, who makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the desert. He will not see when prosperity comes but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. But listen to this. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord, for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaves will be green, will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease. To yield fruit that tree that's got its roots down into the stream doesn't fear when heat comes you can turn up the furnace on Joseph but his roots go down into the stream you can put him through pressure after pressure but he's still trusting in God, he's like a tree planted by a stream and it doesn't matter how much heat falls on that tree he's got his roots down and that's what God's looking for us, in us. That our roots go down to a secret source so that pressure after pressure comes but we're drinking deeply in God. We're trusting in God. God is our trust. And from Him we're finding a secret source of supply. They tried to besiege Jerusalem but there was a secret river that made glad the city of God. It ran inside the river, inside the city. And God has given us a secret source of supply for us to draw on, that we overcome in the midst of the heat of the day. He that trusts in man, well, he's like a bush in the wilderness. If Joseph had been trusting simply in the butler to get him out, well, that fire would soon clear that wilderness. That bush just goes up in smoke. But if he's trusting in God, he says, all right, the man forgot me. All right, the man let me down. I'm still going to trust God is still secure through the furnace. And then in that beautiful first psalm, which is an introduction to all these lovely psalms, it says, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree Firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. In whatever he does, he prospers. Isn't that Joseph? Everywhere he went, he prospered. Potiphar's house, he prospered. Thrown into prison, he still prospers. He's a bough that keeps on bearing fruit, goes up over the wall. That's what God can do for us, even in drought. Even in the heat of pressure and furnace, God can make those who know how to draw upon him and upon his word, who meditate in that word day and night, who get secret supplies of life, they can just grow and grow. Their bow goes over the wall. Bless his next door as well. That's the whole point about Joseph. He didn't just bless himself, he blessed everybody who was near him. He blessed Potiphar's house, they threw him out of there, he blessed the prison. Someone came in and noticed this. He noticed when the baker and the butler came in. He said, why is your countenance down? Why do you look so sad? I think, well, why, how did he even notice? In all his pressure, how come he notices other people are sad? Seems to me he's got something to give away. Seems to me he's got grace for himself and others. Oh, hallelujah. That's what God's looking for as the church emerges into this terrible famine As we shall see tomorrow, God called for a famine. People who know how to live by the river, they're the answer. You turn the heat up, they just put their roots down deeper. And they got grace for themselves and boughs that go over the wall. Hallelujah. That's what Joseph learned of God. How do I know that he kept believing? Well, because he was willing to interpret the dreams of these other men. Imagine this, I believe this was a real test. These other men said, well, I've had a dream. You can just imagine Joseph, can't you? Oh yeah, had a dream, have you? I used to have those. (laughs) If I was you, I'd forget it. Dreams? (laughs) Forget your dreams. That's what he could have said. Dreams don't really do any good at all in the long term. I used to have dreams, but uh, I've grown up a bit now. That's what could have been his answer. You have to learn to adjust. You must rationalise, yes? Well, you can be young dreamers while you're young, but you've got to learn that you can't have it like that here. You can't really do it that way. Oh, yes, well, it may have been like that in the Bible. But we don't dream dreams like that anymore. We're 20th century now. He could have just rationalised the whole thing. He could have said, oh, it's hopeless. But he didn't. And to me, that's the proof. He immediately said, oh, I'll tell you the interpretation of that. I think, oh, hallelujah. The man was still in faith. The man had been told by God, I have a position of real significance for you. And everything went wrong from that day. Downhill, downhill, downhill awful pressure, terrible problems, cruelty, unkindness. And when he was told, I've got a dream, he said, oh, I'll tell you how it goes. I'll tell you the interpretation. The man's triumphant. He still believes. He's still confident in his gift. He's calling. He doesn't hesitate. And I believe that was a great test. Will he respond? Another man says, I've had a dream. Will he respond? We think, oh, blow it. Dreams. No, you can say this of Joseph, I believe, therefore I speak. you going through the test? That's what God wants to see. Can you say, I believe, therefore I speak. I still am as confident in that word God gave me years ago as I was when I first had it, when it first thrilled my heart, when I first thought, oh Lord, are you really going to do that for me? And now it all seems in the past and it's all gone wrong. Have you abandoned it? Have you abandoned that word that gripped you and thrilled you? Or are you saying, well, I don't understand what's happening here. It doesn't look much like a position of royalty. It looks like a prison cell from here. But, oh God, I believe you. Therefore I will speak. Do you still speak? Do you still say to the people, I believe God? Do you still say in your own spirit, I believe God? Agree with God. Don't let the promises of God fade. God wants us to speak because we believe. And I believe as we close this meeting tonight, as we're closing in worship and praise, it can be a response from your heart tonight. and Say, oh God, I believe, therefore I speak. Some of us who've been believing for the baptism of the Spirit this week, perhaps you've been prayed for this week, as we stand up and worship in a minute, say, Lord, I believe, therefore I'm going to speak in tongues. I believe, therefore, I'm going to step into faith in this situation. I believe, therefore, I'm going to throw off all my heartache about this prolonged problem that I've been going through. I'm going to believe and speak out my praise in you tonight. That's what God's looking for. The word of the Lord tried Joseph. God said, this is what will happen. And then that word tried him.